Hey, Fireside Freedom Crew, what is up? We're back with another live stream. And tonight we're talking about uh, first things we would do when setting up a new homestead. Uh, and in light of, or in the spirit of sticking with the homestead theme, I thought I'd bring out a quote from, I think it was Jeff Lawton, all the world's problems can be solved in a garden. I thought it fit in pretty well with it. Um, we, we often start out with talking about <laughs> what we've done lately to increase freedom in our life. But instead of looking at the past, I thought I'd look at the future, maybe the next week or month, and see what you guys have coming up, any events or news or anything that you've got going on to increase the freedom quotient in your life. Nate, take it away. Uh, we got our uh, we got a class coming up next week met for medical. Uh, Don Young is swinging by. We interviewed him uh, about maybe two months ago on our podcast, and he's going to swing by. We got uh, five people coming over. We're going to sit down and take a class, learn how to use some tourniquets and maybe some miscellaneous other stuff, and kind of go from there. So I think it's kind of something important to be knowing how to use here. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of all my stuff and move into a camper. I thought you already live in a camper. Well, yeah, I kind of do in the driveway, but I won't have the driveway <laughs> anymore because we're supposed to close on our house next week. So, oh, yeah, that's that kinda, exciting. Yeah, it kind of kicks off our journey. So that kind of freeing when you can just go anywhere. Kind of scary, but very exhilarating. So looking forward to it. Awesome. I lived in a camper for seven and a half years. I ain't doing that anymore. But <laughs> did you do it with three paper <laughs> uh, I've got two livestock guardian dogs and a little mutt, but so they it, it does make walking around in the camper a little difficult. <laughs> so, but yeah, I I don't know about freedom part of it, but the turkeys that I had put got put up. Oh. I was so glad to get them put up. Then my same neighbor who helped me catch the turkeys found a sweet deal on a, on a freezer for me. And not only did he find the deal, but he took my check and took it down to the place and paid for it and then delivered it to me. I was like, you can't beat neighbors like that. That's awesome. Carrie, what about you? Uh, we'll have our next surplus swap coming up uh, September 4th on Sunday from 1 to 5. So, Looking forward to having more people out for that. And uh, the big thing, preparing for, is of course, Self-Reliance Festival. Myself and Don Sutton are putting together a, um, a community connection. Don't quote me on that exact label. I think she's got the signage pulled together for it. But we are coordinating, literally connecting people um, and, uh, and, and, and doing that in a way that's, uh, you know, work. it works regardless of where you're coming in from. So we're going to have basically a database built with a physical book that people can come in, fill out a card. We'll file it in the book. People can come in. They can look at the book by state and by county, um, take photos of those cards. So whether that's a business card, whether it's personal information, your local telegram, MeWe, whatever Facebook groups. Um, we're just giving everybody who's coming to self-reliance fest an opportunity to get that information um, and, and put it out and, and be, you know, like decentralized, but centralized, if that makes sense, maybe decentralized, but organized. So yes, that's, that's the big thing we're, uh, we're putting together right now. Super cool. Um, the thing I'm looking forward to is meeting pe meeting more people at 
self-reliance festival. Um, I met a lot of great people there last time. The thing that's a little bit differently about this one is I'll actually be speaking there. It's my first speaking gig. So I'm looking both terrified and excited about it. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's pretty cool. One thing I forgot to do. I'm Ken. We've got Nate, Brian, Thesia, and Carrie with us tonight, in case y'all didn't catch your names the first time around. Um, let's jump right into the first question. Uh, how about you guys share, all of us share a brief background of like our homesteading experience, just so people kind of know where we're coming from when we talk about what we do starting a new homestead, you know, because we do, most of us do have at least a little bit of experience in that, I think. Uh, let's go in reverse order this time. Carrie, why don't you start us off? So I've kind of come full circle on my experience. I grew up where we are now um, and we had beef cattle. Mom's always had gardens, uh, kind of kind of a, a typical, you know, family farm setup, and, uh, you know, moved away from that when I went to college did the dorm thing, did the apartment thing for a few years. And then in my early twenties, I said, I wanted a house. So Angel and I got a house in the city and rapidly turned that into a miniature urban homestead. And that was where we were for about 14 years until we returned to the family farm in 2020. Thesia, you go ahead. Well, I was not raised around this stuff at all. I've uh, we moved around a lot when I was growing up and when as an adult. And it's only until I moved back into the area where I had graduated high school, and honestly, until I met my husband, we're on uh, uh, land that belonged to his father. And when I turned fifty, I thought, "Crap, I've lived more than what I got left. I better start doing something that I want to do." And I had decided, and I was starting to have a few health problems and stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to start growing my own food. I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, we've done it all wrong. We planted 320 grapevines with no water source <laughs> and built a barn. But I don't know. I mean, we did build a barn, but we still haven't built the house yet. And I don't know. We've done it all wrong, but I've learned a lot. And of course, because I was told that chickens were the gateway of, uh, thing i thought okay let's get some chickens and uh, we basically expanded from there so i've gone from not necessarily a city slicker because i don't like cities but i've always lived in like suburbs or just on the edge of little towns or something like that to out in the middle of nowhere and i like it uh yeah i i started well yeah nothing as a kid like grew up in a small town but in town kid and then uh, moved to the city, then kind of just bounced around suburbs and everything. We finally kicked out to where we got about seven, eight years ago up in a, it's an, it's an old farm. It was, it's been a farm since uh, like the 1920s. It's been all sorts of different farms, uh, had some infrastructure here, but everything was dated and old, uh, kind of rehabbed it. Years before I started researching what we wanted to do, I had like novel books full of different information of anything I wanted to start up. I just already had the manual ready to go before I started. Um, tried everything, laying hens, uh, meat birds, meat turkeys, uh, quail, 
rabbits, gardens, aquaponics, uh, probably more shit than that. Planted an orchard and everything. Uh, ramped everything up to the point that it had to go full time or because I worked full time through it all. My wife and I both did um, and ramped it up to where it had to go full time and then backed it off, experienced all the different things. And then at about five and a half years, decided we didn't want to do it in the cold anymore because it was too damn hard. And so we've kind of shut everything down and we're selling it to someone and we're going to go someplace else and uh, put to work what we've learned and everything we learn going forward. So it's kind of where I'm coming from. I've done it, shut it down. I'm going to do it again. I just want to practice run the first time, I guess. That's a smart way to do it, Brian. <laughs> Expensive way to do it. Well, yeah, but it is what it is. You know, uh, with us, um, it kind of really just happened with us. Uh, we were always city kids. I lived in downtown Chicago for a while. And then uh, one of the bigger cities a little bit west of here, or sorry, east of here. And then uh, Aaron and I just decided to move out to the country a little bit, get a little further out, let the kids grow up in a little bit better spot. And we ended up getting some chickens and we got about a half acre here right now. So it's not a huge lot by any means. Um got the chickens and then it just kind of evolved from there. You know, the human malware virus kicked in and uh, we couldn't get meat birds. So we got meat rabbits and then our garden went from two feet by four feet to now it's 10 feet by 60 feet with an IBC tote full of comfrey and a ton of comfrey planted around the patio. Um, we tried growing some rat, you know, feed for the rabbits. Unfortunately, ran into some issues with that. Uh, we got, uh, hydroponics going on inside. Uh, we just put five, uh, rabbits in the freezer last weekend. Uh, we're going to be selling the rabbit feed here pretty soon. We got those being processed. Thanks, Brian, for your video. And then, uh, we're also doing the rabbit ears for dog treats. We had, uh, my, uh, sister-in-law ended up uh, dehydrating them, gave them to her dog, and her dog, like, mowed them all down. So we're going to give that a shot and see how that works out. So, and it's two city kids. We tried we tried stuff out, and we just kind of ran with it. Do so. the whole heads, not just the ears. Really? Yeah, we used to, I used to sell the heads whole. I'd just lop the heads off when I would call them, put them okay. in, and put them in a bag and freeze them whole and sell them for a buck a piece. Okay. Frozen to raw dog food people. Yeah, that makes sense. They're great. The brain, the brain, the eyes, all the tongue, everything, and the fur in the ears is really good for them. All right, cool. I'll have to give that a shot. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know next time I butcher. I've ready-made dog treats there. <laughs> My wife doesn't necessarily care for rabbits anyway, so most of ours is dog food. We, we had, Corey went up uh, dog sledding uh, every winter, and the dog sledding wow. dogs loved them. Like the the trainers loved when we came up because we'd bring them bags of heads and throw them to them. <laughs> they loved. Oh, them. that's awesome! That's cool. Um, my homesteading experience. I come from a long line of farmers on both sides of my family, um, being as they were all Amish. So kind of in my background but i didn't necessarily grow up in that we always had animals and gardens and i hated hot summer days in south georgia going out to hoe weeds that was the worst i always tried to disappear after school or 
summertime, tried to hide as much as I could. Well, when, you know, I got married and bought some land and tried to start a homestead. So I've, I've, I'm only in about five years. I'm still learning as I go. Um, it's been a fun process most of the time, definitely some hard things along the way, but, uh, as far as extensive homesteading experience, not a whole lot, just had animals and gardens or mom had gardens and I had to slave away in them, had animals, had to take care of all my life. So that's pretty much my background in, in that area of things. Um, next question that I came up with and Brian's going to have a lot to say on this because he's actually living it out right now. No, nothing. <laughs> if you had to start from zero with no land or animals, What's the first thing you do? Where do you start? Uh, Nate, you want to start with that one? You want to take it away? Yeah, for me, I would start with uh, chickens for sure. Easy to contain. And then probably go rabbits so you could help build the garden. And then my ultimate goal would be to have, a, have enough room to be able to run hogs. But the way I want to do that, I want to be able to have a little bit of pasture and a little bit of woods. So what my thought process that I would be looking for would be probably 20, 25 acres, half in, you know, pasture or half in woods. Um, and then, you know, be able to run the hogs through the woods at one point later in the year, um, have pasture, rotate them through, and then quite possibly look at goats or maybe even sheep, not a hundred percent sure yet. Um, but ideally I would, you know, like to end with hogs. Um, the other important thing to me would be find a source of water on the property. So I'm not pumping in water off of a well. Um, that would make a little bit more sense to me. Um, so yeah, you know, rolling hills would be fine. Nothing real steep. So I know, uh, kind of down by you can, I know your area, not necessarily your property has a lot of steep, uh, pieces of property. Same with you, Carrie. Um, so I'd be looking general rolling hills, water on the property, some woods, uh, some pasture, and just kind of roll with it and see how it goes. What am I looking for? <laughs> uh, not as much as I had. Uh, I'm, I've learned that I don't want to do any of it full time. I want to, I want to kind of be in a position where if I take care of myself, I don't need a whole lot of money, like getting out of a mortgage and going small is kind of for multi-purpose. Um, we do have a living structure that we're in now. So, and we'll probably be able to buy some property outright and own it and, and just kind of build small from there. We want to do kind of mixed flock, Nate nailed it with water. Um, having water there or very close, um, seeing, seeing the setup you had, Ken was, uh, I mean, a good experience to see that it's, it's not, it's not that bad, like it's doable for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's kind of the, the thing I'm looking for, but I, I have other projects in mind too, to go along with that. Um, we're not necessarily looking for just one property. We might be looking for multiple properties and using them for other business ventures and having like a permaculture lens designed to it where there's a lot of stuff that 
Um, not necessarily set it and forget it. Uh, definitely having somebody around to tend to it, but m less labor intensive type of stuff long term that any property could be used to kick off a homestead. So get into properties and get fruit trees planted, get things planted that are going to take a long time that we're starting here to get the advantages of get comfrey growing. Um, do that type of stuff and then maybe go start on another property while somebody takes care of it and people rent that one out. But that's now a basis to come back and do the stuff that's quick. Like I did all the stuff that's quick, all the chickens, the rabbits, the quail, the ducks, the, all that stuff is you can do that in six months. You can't grow a apple tree and take a harvest in six months. That's going to take you a longer time so either finding something with that established or getting to that right away is kind of priority one for me i think our place is so large and i don't have the equipment that i need to keep it up but we're on uh 40 acres and uh, we own 26 of it um because it's so large and without the equipment it's it's overwhelming and and the water water is a big thing we thought we had water here it's reclaimed coal pits so they stripped mine for coal on it and then they just bulldozed everything over and apparently part of the reclamation is they had to drill a well on it and uh, so we thought we had water but it, it um apparently when you do strip mining it also messes with the water table so the the production of the well is basically nil and uh it didn't work we couldn't we haven't been able to do anything with it i'd like to eventually I, i'm hoping that somewhere down the road i can start do some swales and stuff because i think i heard with billy uh bond the other day that when you do swales it actually slows the water down enough where it actually goes into your land and maybe even replenish the well and I, and, and I thought that sounded cool because i'd like to be able to go we're on city water not city water county water and it's it's pretty decent water but i'd like to be able to go back and do the well again but yeah, the well is the most important part and maybe start smaller. If you're looking for property, uh, I don't know. I guess that's kind of a personal thing, but if you can, if you have what you need to take care of all of it, that's great. If you do not, uh, kind of rein yourself in a little bit. So it's not been too long since we actually did uh, start over. And start from zero. Basically, we, you know, we came out here to a section of family land that, uh, you know, didn't have any structures on it. So, of course, plan number one was to figure out how and where and what we were going to live in. Um, we knew what we knew. We wanted the cabin. We knew we wanted. Uh, we knew the dimensions of it. And so, number one priority was picking out the site for that and the site for the workshop. And both the buildings are the same size. They're both 14 by 32. Um, fortunately, I've got my brother out here who um, is very skilled at running a skid steer and other equipment and knows how to lay out and level and build foundation and do all that kind of work. And after walking various sections of the property, uh, we kind of landed obviously where we are now because it was flat enough to work with. And that's kind of our main thing out here is everything the hill. So it's kind of like how much hill you have to take away to make stuff level out. Um, so that was that was the big thing. And that was relatively time consuming. And again, trying to do it on a, you know, quite the fixed budget. And 
once we had that squared away and it, you know, we had the workshop in October of 2020. So we basically had a place to park all of our stuff, spent the winter um, kind of splitting difference between staying with mom and dad and staying up here in the workshop. Uh, I took the opportunity to walk the land a lot and, and there's multiple parcels up here, but the parcel we're mostly occupying and working with is about a 10 acre parcel. And man, that's a lot. And I know there's people who want, you know, huge, huge tracts of land, but I feel like I could do just about whatever I want and barely be able to keep up with any of it. So uh, if I if I just mow, I've got two hours a week just in mowing, you know, and, and a whole bunch of it is just, you know, has, has been gradually reclaimed by nature and its various levels of, of uh, forest and overgrowth and whatnot. So since we did start all over, we took care of the shelter issue because um you know wives like to be warm and have a bed and do stuff like that so you know had that squared away we already had a water line up here that was convenient there's water line up here that runs to the hops so we were able to access that and once it came to being uh being you know kind of settled and after i did my my observe and interact uh, I decided just to kind of copy what I've been doing, and that was to just build out systems from the zone one and and move out. So I started with just pots of stuff, just little container gardens, little things, and then just gradually added beds, found my pathways, found what how I wanted to navigate the property, found where I already wanted to walk, and basically built everything around that. Um, and it helps that the property is already, um, we've always called it terracing, but it actually, they're, they're really swales is what they are. I just didn't know the right word for it for the longest time until I began to study permaculture, but the land is already terraced. And so it was, I kind of get to look around and be like, oh yeah, okay. I see the contour. I see how, how it makes sense to place this garden. I see where the, you know, where the sun comes in, where the shade falls and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I think I'm just going to go back to really encouraging people to, really make time for that observe and interact it really saves you so much headache yeah i'm going to go back a little farther in time um we've kind of covered one of the other questions what do you start with once you're on the land i'm going to go back a little bit farther than that and kind of what i would do if i was starting all over i came from south georgia and just bought a piece of property. I came and visited it once, fell in love with it, kind of checked out the town around it. I knew it was quite a ways out of town, but I didn't spend any time on it. There was a huge crop of corn on it. So you had to stand on top of the truck to be able to see what the lay of the land was like and all of that. Um, if I had to do over again, I think what I would do is try to move to an area I wanted to live in and live there a while first. In talking through that with my wife earlier this evening, you know, we we're kind of talking about what we would do differently. And I don't know if we'd have ended up with the property that we have if we would do things differently because we wanted East Tennessee. And so if we had moved there, we probably wouldn't have found a property as great as what we've got. Like it's absolutely perfect in every way except its distance from a decent town <laughs> like it's it's an hour and a half to to a decent town at all so in any direction 
So I, I think I would say I'd move to an area and kind of check it out, check out different properties, look at the land and feel, get a feel for the club, the people around there and all of that. But then again, you know, it's a two-edged sword. There's always a positive and a negative to everything you do. But with that being said, when you guys go to look for a property and Brian, I, I keep bringing you into it because you're going through all of this. Like, why don't you start on this one? What do you look for when checking out a property? Like, do you look, are you looking for a house or just raw land? Are you looking proximity to town, water, kind of what are some of the features that you personally are looking for in a property? We'll go Brian, Nate, Thesia, Carrie. You muted, Brian. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Um, so, uh, it's it's a hard it's hard right now. Um, we're kind of in a mix of what we're doing with the property, so we're not we're not necessarily looking for our forever property, but maybe, maybe we don't know. We don't really know. Um, we're open to spots. We, the main thing we're going to look for is raw land. Uh, I don't need a house. I have one to bring with me. Um, <laughs> cell signal. I need cell signal so I can work. Um, that's something that is going to be a challenge to find in the area we're going to, uh, from what I understand. Uh, but it's doable. We have some plans uh, for proximity for some reasons other than what, what Ken was saying, not necessarily to a close town, but we're, we're targeting some other um some other things we want to be within a certain zone of things we're targeting i don't really it's not pertinent to this conversation so um but yeah definitely having a uh, an idea where you're going to do your shopping is something that we didn't really think about when we moved where we did uh we ended up when we bought this property an hour from everything like an hour from everything is 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 where we got to go to any big box store if we want to go to a local grocery store it's it's 20 minutes away but uh yeah anything of size is an hour um so yeah proximity is is definitely an access to the property like i gotta be able to i either have to put in access so i can pull my house onto the property or there has to be some sort of access onto the property and someplace that i can at least get off the road um i am gonna be carrying all sorts of equipment with me so i can get rid of some stuff real quick if i need to but yeah access to get in yeah for, for me i know that the one of the biggest things i don't want to be around is this 400 acre cornfield like i i'm, I'm done with it it's cool it, it was cool when we lived here it's beans right now but it's still all monocrop and I'm worried one day the farmer's going to come through and just spray the chemicals and it's going to drift over and take out all of our garden because our garden's 10 feet from his fence line. That's where it can go. And that's the only place I can put it. Um, but yeah, that, the, the other thing I would look at would be kind of area we're in. I would much rather be out in the middle of nowhere away from people. You know, if I can't pee off my front porch, I'm too close to my neighbors. So that's uh you know cut kind of that thought process um ha have enough where i can you know be able to shoot firearms on the property and not not have an issue i mean we can kind of do that here at our neighbor's place he's 
the lane that we have in the backyard is what 300 yards from the closest house so we're legal there um you know just like you're saying brian the, the access you know being able to get on the property i have an atv so it's just you know if i can make some atv trails get farther back into the property awesome but yeah you gotta have at least some spot to you know either have the house or build a house i would much rather have the house already sitting there and if I got to do work to it, it's not the end of the world. Um, but biggest thing is I, there there needs to be water, at least a pond on the property where I can either, you know, stock the pond or use the water to feed some livestock. And that's kind of really what I'm looking for and what I'm not looking for. <laughs> well, because we're on a hill with a very few trees, it would probably frowned upon if I've tried to go pee outside. So I'm probably not going to do that too much, but, uh, um, I wouldn't, I would have found something with more. Now the, there's several properties around us, our area, we're in Eastern Oklahoma. So there's trees and hills and stuff like that. Uh, so the, my neighbors just to the South of me have lots of beautiful Oak trees and, 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 uh, stuff where we just don't cause it was bulldozed over. So, uh, if I had a, preference i would definitely get something with more wooded area and definitely running water through you know creeks or streams and ponds and stuff like that and uh, we don't have any of that on this property yet so i'd, I'd like to do start getting some earthworks done so i can at least get a, a, some ponds or something on this property if i were to get out there and start looking for raw land which is something that we've left on the table um maybe out in the next few years just as an auxiliary spot to go to, camping spot or a place to hang with friends. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is step outside in the middle of the day and see if I can hear traffic. And if I can't hear traffic, I'm on the right track. Um, that's that's kind of one of my aggravations here is, you know, I'm, we're on a fair amount of acreage, but we literally have suburbia right up on top of us um, due to, you know, how we do things around here and what's around us is like there, there can't be any more. Everything that's maxed out is maxed out. They've already four lane the highway and all that stuff. And, you know, apartments on one side, McMansions on the other. Um, and as long as we get to hang on to what we do have, nobody can come any closer. But uh, yeah, on a, on a do over um, looking for quiet and then, water and probably that solar aspect like i see a lot of people look at uh you know look at raw land and they find themselves on the north facing side of a steeply wooded hill and you can still do a lot with that but you're gonna have a lot of challenges too and uh, you're gonna be cold and your winters are gonna suck a little bit more so uh, i like my sunshine and i like my quiet those are those are gonna be the two things that that attract me the most yeah, Carrie, what you were saying about being on the north side of a hill, it's kind of kind of funny because Dad and I bought the property that we're on together, what, 34 acres, and there's a tree line that divides my 20 from his 14 on the back half, and both of us kind of wanted that back portion of the property because it's got a cave on it, it's got a creek along the back edge of it, and it touches the river, so... It was a little bit hard on us to give that portion of the property up. But as we've been here over the last couple of years, he's on the north side of the hill. Like it's mm. not much of a rise there, but he's on the north side. And it makes a huge difference in gardening, trees, 
everything how the their house i mean the way the light comes in it's it's a huge difference it's like we couldn't have asked for it, it to be any better that we got the south side of the hill it's i think we got the better end of the deal on that one yeah, <laughs> and i didn't sure. even know to look for it at the time so it's just just the little things when you're looking at property, you make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. That hill isn't very big. I will attest to that. I've walked up it many times <laughs> in, in a matter of days. <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's not much to it, but on the back side, it, it falls away a lot farther on the north than it does on on our south side, and it's I'm amazed at the difference that that it makes. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it does sit just, down just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it does for sure. Like I think his house is only maybe 50 feet off the top of the hill towards the back. And it's, it's down probably 15 feet. So with that tree line, they almost get no sun in the winter time, <laughs> but it's, it definitely makes a difference. Some things that I would look forward doing it over again. Um, I would probably try to find a little bit smaller piece of property. I love our acreage. Like we've got 20 acres. I love it, but it's a lot of work. And without our tractor, we would never keep it up. Um, but I think I'd look for a smaller piece of property with an old house on it and a well. And I'm kind of describing a piece of property that's across the road that we've looked at for five years, ever since we've lived here that we've always wanted because it's got a cool old house on it. And every year it just decays farther and farther. But I'd look for something like that, that I could fix up even doing what we did in pulling a camper in and living in that for a while while we get the property up and going and fix the house up. But having a, a house there already in place, even if it got to have work and having that water on the property would be massive. And I mean, it'd be a huge boost in, in getting started or doing the things that you want to do. What do you guys think about time of year? Is, is there a, a best time of year to move on to a property? Um, Carrie, you want to start with that one? Sure. So it, it seems like spring is typical. Like people come out of winter and they've been feeling cooped up and they're, they're ready for something fresh and something new. Uh, but if it, if it could be planned, um, I kind of feel like going after something in late summer to early fall, maybe even in the early winter when the leaves are off of everything, is a good idea. Um, for one thing, perhaps it makes sense to get to know a property when it's quote at its worst. Like I know how that sounds, but you know, most of us aren't crazy about winter. So um, when things are in, in our case, you know, kind of muddy and, 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 and cloudy and, and just, just ugh, is a, is a probably a good time to really assess the property. Cause that's going to let you, see what's going on with the water. If you're going to have water issues more than likely, at least I'm speaking from, you know, East Tennessee experience, it's, it's going to be in late winter. So, and obviously that's probably not when you want to be trying to build something and getting something in the dry. But uh, I feel like it lets you, it lets you have that observation time. That's kind of where I'm landing on, on timing. He said you want to go ahead i in our location i think i would go with fall like he was talking about late summer early fall uh our winters are relatively short they're only like a couple of months of the really decent cold and but our springs are short they're volatile 
and short, and then goes almost like within a two, three week period from uh, to summer. And uh, and summers can be pretty hot here, and you, nobody wants to do anything in the summer. So, but yeah, September, October, maybe even as late as November, because uh, you know the the weather's a little more temperate here and and just nicer. You know, I like the fall here, and I love the spring because I love I love thunderstorms. But that's not a good time to look at a property. I mean, it is. I guess it is when now here in Oklahoma, that is something. Now where we are located, we face the west, and we're open on the north and the west and the south. So we're wide open. So if a tornado is coming, we're going to get hit. But we've got we've got shelter here and stuff. But uh, that is something else to look look into into a property to see if you have a hill to your west it mean it takes away from your sunsets are beautiful but the chances of if you're in tornado alley like we are uh if you have something something that the a tornado would be likely to bounce off of and go over the top of you that is something that's pretty pretty important here in in oklahoma yeah i'm hoping uh in the next couple months is a really good time to look We bought this house. Uh, we took so long buying our farm. We looked at it twice, four months apart, I think. Uh, we took a year finding our place when we first looked when we were moving from the cities, but we were only moving 90 miles. So we were able to look and look and look. Um, so we saw it both in like in late summer and then in November, I think we saw it again because we bought it in December. So, yeah that fall time seeing it in the in the summer was nice it was all green and everything but yeah seeing it later uh right before we bought it was uh that was pretty cool to see it with all the leaves down or leaves falling so you can see more of what's going on and things are hidden by all the overgrowth and green and stuff like that yeah when we moved into this into this place it was november 6th if i remember all the leaves were down. All the black walnuts were down. So we had a lot of cleanup. Um, reality, if I go and put this place up for sale, because it's in a little tiny neighborhood, it's going up in March. Because that is when everybody is looking to move out of where they are and change school districts. Because you're going into summer, you have all summer long. And then you get the kids settled, and then you can put them in school in the fall. So that's that's always been my thought process. And uh, Thesia for that hill to the west, I would definitely need that hill because I need somewhere to put the ham radio antennas. And I'm going to make you drink, Brian. <laughs> oh, we had this drinking game. I, I forgot about that. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. We're talking about homesteading. <laughs> He's talking uh, about tornado hills. <laughs> that radio's never off uh, off the table with Nate around. <laughs> uh, um, we we ended up moving on to our property in October, which I think is, I mean, it's, it's about the perfect time of year. That late fall, maybe even winter, just so you can kind of observe the water and how the wind flows through the property. If we had moved in in the spring, I mean, I, I don't know what, what kind of infrastructure we would have gotten, but you run the risk of if you put stuff in place, ends up being in the wet spot, 
which if you're not looking out for that, but if you go through that wet season before you start building and planting and putting trees in and all the things, then you can kind of see how the water flows and maybe how you want to change some of the design or implement some design aspects there. I, I think it's good to go through at least a couple of wet seasons before you um, put too much in my, my two cents. So we kind of talked about this a little bit. What are, what do you start with when you're on the land? Um, anything else, any of you want to add to that? Like what's the you go with animals, buildings, you know, fencing, go ahead, Carrie. I, um, rethinking a couple of things um i would have gotten to uh perennials a little quicker um more so like at the old place i wished i had had more of a design in mind for things like sun chokes um asparagus basically a, a miniature food forest i ended up doing it but we were heading out about the time things started to really produce well so i would really think about even if you just designate a zone um or your kind of perennial systems uh let put those guys in and let them get to work for you kind of running in the background while you're tinkering on all the other little projects and you know because you can you can turn other stuff around fairly quickly like you can throw some quail in some cages or some rabbits and have some meat in a few weeks and and be working that stuff so i'm thinking more about having stuff running in the background for for the long term and of course you're you know you're adding value to your property uh in that way Anybody else have something to add to that? For for us, it's pretty hard to find rabbits up here. So I would uh, definitely start with those guys. Um, just for the simple fact that if I got to buy, say, 12-week-old kits, you know, or 12-week-old rabbits, I got to wait, you know, what, another three or four months to grow them out. And I want that manure to go on the garden. So, you know, you start being able to compost and getting that ready. So, you know, probably add a few chickens here and there. Um, I not go too crazy. Um, but yeah, definitely. I, I would probably start with the rabbits, go with the garden next, and then, uh, more than likely get, get into the bigger animals, then, uh, start playing around with, uh, trees and stuff, get food forests in, um, you know, kind of see how I want to do that if I have a lot of open up land or, or open land. I think oh, when you're looking at a property, see how well it fits your vision. We didn't have a vision and uh, we made a lot of type one errors. You know, uh, I didn't know what a swell was. I didn't know what permaculture was. And so we planted our orchard on the north side of the hill. We planted the vineyard on the west side of the hill and, and, and our grapes almost every year shrivel up into little black BBs. I don't have a zone one, so to speak, because we lived in a camper and I didn't want it to be my zone one. I was wanting to have my zone one where my future house was going to be. And so I've never established a zone one in particularly because I didn't. And even now the place I live in now is, is, is a mobile home that I still don't want to be my zone one because I still want my house. That's just a, in another location. So a vision 
and uh, uh, at least have some sort of plan of action. Don't just come in there and just willy-nilly decide, okay, I'm going to do chickens. Oh, let's add some goats and then look out the window and they're on top of your car or something like that. Just try, try to do a little planning, have a little bit of vision and and uh, uh, see if you can cut down some of the type one errors. Yeah, plant some trees. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, we started in the first year, so the first planting season, we started asparagus from seed, um, not crowns. We started from seed inside. Crazy. Don't do it. Buy crowns. Um, but yeah, set eight years in, I, you can go to my TikTok and I just posted video of some of the stalks of the original asparagus we planted. Uh, that's just overgrown this year because we've been focusing on other things. Uh, it's thicker than my thumb wide, like, and I got big hands. I'm six five. I don't have like little girl hands. Uh, I threw my thumb up against it, and it's like almost twice as wide as my thumb. So that's seven years old. We got uh, we started rhubarb from seed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, horseradish. No, we had to buy the crowns for that, but. Yeah, getting the trees in. If we had gotten the trees in the first year, we ran out of money the first year, basically. But we got trees in. Um, and, yeah, I would, uh, yeah, get that stuff in. Get the comfrey in, too. You should have you should have bought that in, uh, like, last week. But I know people that still have it for sale. If you need any, let me know. Uh, but, yeah, get comfrey in. If you want to run a comfrey business, it's two years. It's, it's two years out if you really want to run it. And if you really want to run it and you can wait two years – you can really run it. There's a reason why we have our comfrey in a IBC tote because we can take it with us. And I like that experiment. I'm very curious about that. So it's going gangbusters now. That's for sure. We just harvested the stuff in the ground, and that was the first batch we got from you. Um, and then the IBC tote is the second batch, and that first batch that we got is probably 36 inch long leaves. And that's off a root. That's not crowned. That was off the root. Yeah. Yeah. It'll come in quick. I'm, I'm more, uh, my focus. Well, yeah. When I was growing it to produce it, but when we, we were just selling out until we left, but when we were really running, we were harvesting the leaves for all the stuff. But my big focus was on the propagation of the root. And my interest was root growth. How long in how long the root grows in how many days is what I was focused on doing experiments. And so I got you and some other people doing experiments for me on different, the best ways to propagate and get the most growth out of it. Yeah. The real interesting one we got from you is, is going to be by the patio. Cause that um, it's like six inches of dirt then goes down to stone. So I'm kind of wondering if that's going to, you know, kind of just spread out and see if that's going to be a little easier to harvest instead of going the 36 inches deep down into a IBC tote. So we got a couple of experiments here going on. Be interested to see how it works. Yeah, cool. That's, that's a lot of good information there. Um, things to do when you first move in. I wish we had planted 500 trees like the first year. Of course, then, you know, as we designed the property, we'd probably be moving half of them. But, I mean, you spend – ten dollars a tree even and putting on put in 500 trees you know you've got several thousand in that but you know in five years you've got all the trees <laughs> so 
5,000, 50,000, however many, however much money that is <laughs> for you guys. What's the purpose of your homestead? Is it, are you out for self-sufficiency? Is it something for profit, the lifestyle, um, to get away from the hordes of crazies out there or the, uh, what'd you call that thing earlier, Nate? I forget what you said at the start that the human, uh, I don't remember that human malware virus. He, the human malware virus. Yes. <laughs> what, what is the purpose of your homestead or your farm or, or your property? What do you go for? Go ahead, Nate. I mean, for us, it was, uh, just trying to be a little bit more self-sufficient and, I think we're doing pretty good with what we're at. We do about give or take 35 to 40% of our meals comes off of our property, uh, be it the rabbits or the meat birds or eggs or out of the garden or the hog that we process once a year or the deer that I go hunt out the back door. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible if you are willing to put the work in, um, that was really the start of it was just kind of figure out how to be a little bit more self-sufficient, but now we've kind of moved a little bit and we're looking for ways to profit off of what we have here. Um, Aaron is looking into taking some classes and stuff. Um, I know I'm very interested to see how the comfrey does. We might be working with something with that. I know we're doing stuff with the freeze dryer. We're starting to sell stuff with the eggs. So, I mean, it's, or not, or the rabbits. So, I mean, it, it, it's really turned from, you know, we are putting stuff in the freezer to how can we add a, little, a couple more dollars to our pocket as we move forward and be a little bit smarter as we do things and what we invest in from there. So, I yeah, I'd say over the past two years, it's probably changed. Uh, it used to be for seeing which was the most profitable operation to run. And in doing that, I realized I just want to do it for me because I enjoyed doing it and I enjoyed producing for myself and I'll do it. I'll probably do all of the above on a, on a scale just to consume myself and obviously a little extra because um, you always have losses. So that little extra will get sold and I'm going to find creative ways, other ways to, uh, to make money off it, but just using my, my space in the world to connect with nature and, and connect with, uh, with the animals and raise them and interact with them and grow things and enjoy it. When Tom and I got married, he had rent houses and, uh, uh, some other properties and stuff. And, and basically my name was not on them. So then when we got this property, my name was on it. And I thought, this is mine. I'm going to do what I can do with it. And um, Tom has been really good about putting in for his retirement, you know, comes out of his paycheck and stuff like that. But, you know, he went through 2008 and lost a bunch of it. And, uh, you know, just different things over time. Uh, his retirement is not going to get us through. And I have worked a lot of jobs and stuff over the years. I, I, I don't think at 60, I could get a decent enough job to support us if I needed to, if something happened to Tom. So I have put my heart and soul and every, and every brain cell that I can think of into making this place work. 
And the first, my first thing I'm, uh, is minor priority is to make sure that we are fed. And if, if all else fails, I'm going to make sure we are fed. I would like to down the road, maybe do little hip camps or something. I'd like to beautify the vineyard and, uh, put some swells in, put some more trees in. We've planted a lot of trees, but this property does not facilitate plants at all. I think we planted over 300 trees and I think two of the ones that we planted have lived. And, uh, but we got, we've got the regular, you know, other trees with the what, uh, birds poop and, and have made trees too. But um, I thought it's, it's going to have to be our retirement. So I better get my butt in gear and make it work. And, and this is, be, like I said, my name is on this and I will do the best I can if not to have it make money for us, at least we can eat. Uh, we got out here because um, I was ready for a human uh, buffer space for sure. I like malware, human malware. That's a good way of putting it. Uh the, the summer of 2020, the last one we spent at our place in the city, uh, everybody was getting their um, their government stipend, federal stipend on top of all the unemployment. And fireworks rained for, I, I'm not making this up, over two weeks. And, and not even just a, uh, you know, a few here and there, but like the giant mortars, the giant fireworks show level stuff, every other house setting those off endlessly. And you know what? I like good fireworks show, but it was ridiculous. And, uh, and it was uh, dry and I was like, somebody's going to burn the place down. We also had uh, what we called the, the giant dumpster fire of, um, I think that was 2019 where there is a uh, recycle place literally around the corner from us because the old neighborhood is interspersed with, uh, basically industry there's, this is pre-code. So it's just a, a mishmash and it's a place where they recycle, uh, cardboard, and it caught on fire. I'll have to post the pictures in the chat sometime, you guys, because the pictures are epic. Huge, huge, dangerous fire. And um, uh, less than a quarter mile from our home. And we evacuated that night because uh, we didn't think it was going to spread. But I was concerned with how the smoke was sinking in and settling in because we were kind of down in a little bowl. And we knew that was unhealthy. But anyhow, yeah, I just I wanted I wanted the human buffer. And I wanted the ability to, you know, expand my skill set in terms of permaculture design. I wanted to be closer to mom and dad and my brother. And I wanted to just be able to wander around and do all kinds of stuff. Uh, I know I complain about suburbia, but it doesn't really stop me from doing too much. It's a little aggravating at times, but um, I can still pretty much do whatever I want. I can, you know, I've got a place I can shoot. Um, I've got, uh, I can even... I, I can small game hunt safely up here and there's a few places where if I, if I pick the right spot, I could, I could look for deer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, man, I just, I, it's the, it's the leave me alone factor. It's, it's strong with me is, uh, is my main focus. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to need you to bring me one of those. Leave us alone. <laughs> Yeah, tell me where I can get one of those. We'll bring me one. <laughs> yeah. Coming to Self Reliance Festival, you can bring us a bunch of stickers. Those were those were a limited edition run from uh, Squatch, the original Squatch Fest, I believe. I was able nice. to conjure some out. We got two of them, and uh, yeah, I think they are. He found me an extra because St Corey stole mine when it came in the box, and she's like, "No, that's mine." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" And it was like already on her water bottle, and I'm like. 
what the? <laughs> now pulling that off. <laughs> you got you got to talk to Scrambling about that. He might uh, he might be able to bake up another run of them. Everybody with all the patches and stickers and stuff. I'm feeling left out here. <laughs> Just write, write, write something on some tape and put it on your shirt. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got my shirt on. So um, for, for our property here, we had a, uh, an inside hidden reason and an outward reason that we told people why we were doing this. <laughs> um, what we said was, and this is mostly true, we wanted a slower pace of life. We're tired of the rat race tired of always go, 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 and all the requirements of dealing with society. So we wanted to slow down, just slower pace of life. The inside reason was thought the world was falling apart back in 2016 and all the shit was happening and we had to get away. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was a combination of things. Um, but we wanted for sure the self-sufficiency. Like I, that's why we got the, the acreage that we did was because we wanted to grow all the, the fruit and nut trees, have all the vineyards and the orchards and the animals and the chickens and the cows and the pigs and the goats and the sheep and all the things. And, you know, that's just a lot of stuff to do for two people. It's a lot to take care of. So it, it's kind of morphed into more of a, um, kind of gone back to the slower pace of life, which we have not achieved yet. We did slow down the first year we were here and then it's just crazy again because started working again for to bring some income and we're still got the farm and you know how life goes. It, it gets in the way and next thing you know, you're 9,000 miles an hour again and like, Hey, I need to slow down a little bit and enjoy the, enjoy life. <laughs> so that, that was why we moved to our property right now we're just trying to enjoy it get some food off of it save up a little food for winter time you know put some up uh, we've got some animals that we will be uh harvesting i guess got some rabbits that need to be harvested we've got some pigs that will harvesting probably next year i think they're mangalitsa so they they take a while um but yeah, it's it's kind of a kind of been a, a morphing purpose for our property here. But now we're trying to at least be a little bit of profit on it, you know, so that we can do uh, tax mitigation strategies with it. So it's, it's not a homestead; it's a farm. Make sure you get it right. <laughs> I don't know what what else. What have we missed? What should we cover? Any thoughts have come up for you guys in the middle of this conversation? What else would be useful to know when starting a new homestead? Don't do, don't try and do everything once or at once. Master one thing at a time. You know, get, you know, figure out how you're going to raise one thing before you jump into another. Or figure out how you're going to propagate one thing versus you know, instead of jumping in another. Don't do everything all in one shot. Take your time. Go slow. Learn how to do it. Because if you go full steam ahead, you're going to burn yourself out within six months to a year, maybe two years, and you're going to hate it. Start start trying to figure out how to do it before you go to do it. Like Do some research. Do some research. <laughs> have an idea. And if you're 
God, if you're going to do animals, have some place to put them before you get them. Like, like think about it. Just- 100%. Get your stuff, your enclosures figured out before you go buy the goddamn animal. I got the sticker mule deal in the email today too, Brian. He said, shop sticker mule, then don't buy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Just look, look into, look into the stuff you want to do and don't, don't go into Facebook groups and ask questions. You can just Google. I mean, if you, if you're getting mixed results and you've done your research, but if I could, if, if, if you ask the question and I can find the answer quicker than me typing out the answer, then you probably should have looked a little bit before. Um, and then if you if you're stuck, ask a question. I'm not saying don't ask questions, but some of it you can do on your own. So there are two shit show groups that I've seen in all my my time of being here. It's the freeze dryer group, the harvest right freeze dryer group, and anything to do with breeding rabbits. Those have been the two biggest shit show groups I have ever been in, and I ignore all of them. It's really just for entertainment value. You know, stay out of them. I mean, there's got to be a hundred ways to do stuff. Don't worry about, you know, jumping through hoops or listening to all these people who honestly have no clue what they're doing. Yeah, I'd say get out there and um, sorry, Thesia, go ahead. That's okay. Um, I was going to suggest just to get out there and help somebody on their own place. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to pick up tips so fast. I mean, I, I, there's stuff when I can, when I helped you, um, there were a couple of things that, you know, reminded me how, you know, laying out deck and just little, just little tiny things that make stuff easier. So yeah, get, get your hands on, on some tools, go help somebody out or, you know, see if somebody like Nicole has kind of done this test run with the homestead boot camp. I love that idea. We're probably gonna end up doing that out here and uh, just offer your assistance. And, uh, you know, more than likely you're, you're going to make a friend and, a, and an ally in the process. Yeah, we're talking about doing infrastructure for your animals and stuff. And I, I agree completely about the infrastructure. Uh, my uh, situation here because it is um, mainly grassland. I wanted something that was mobile. So if you look at all, most everything I have is something I can either drag. You know, I'm I, I've got my mobile egg unit. I can I can drag it with uh, with a pickup, but it's got two flat tires and it's an old trailer that you can't get tires for that anymore. So I'm dragging rims across the property. So I'm looking for my infrastructure is more something that I can drag on my own. Um, and that included my pigs. I was a little concerned I, because I'm in the Southern part of the United States. Uh, we do have wild hogs here. Not so much as like they do in have Texas and stuff, but just even a couple miles from here, they've, they've, uh, uh, trapped some wild hogs. And before I got, and I've got the Idaho pasture pigs mainly because they eat more grass than they do feed. And I've got grass, a lot of it. And, uh, but I wanted to make sure I was not going to contribute to the wild hog population. So I did a lot of research and made sure it was a breed that I could handle and I could feed and, and, uh, and they're in electric fences and uh, they do well every once in a while they do get out, but they just look at you and wait for you to feed them and put them, put them back, you know? So 
my infrastructure is fairly minimal and that's encouraging for people who are trying to start a new uh, a new place too you don't have to have a huge barn you don't have to have permanent structures for a whole lot of stuff my goal was to uh build up topsoil on this property so i wanted mobile structures mobile uh pins whatever it took to spread the manure all over the place. So therefore I've been able to get a buy with fairly minimal structure. Let's talk about this for a bit. James asks, what's the most satisfying experience you've had from your homestead? Um, for me, for us here, I think uh, the most satisfying thing is probably the babies, you know, watching the moms and the babies. We had a sow earlier this spring, which also leads to one of the worst experiences we've had. But she she had 10 piglets. So that was super cool watching her give birth to that and watching her raise them up. Um, she ended up dying. I'm not sure why, but went out one day and she was just unresponsive and then ended up dying a couple hours later. I couldn't do anything for her. So that was pretty awful. But all the babies that that come out like the the chickens that that have been hiding out behind the shed that you thought the fox had gotten comes out with 10 biddies or the, the guinea you know we thought we started out with nine and we're down to two we thought well then two more appear and they have 12 little baby guineas following them so that was super cool to see just things like that watching the new life is is really cool for me how about you guys Uh, the successes, uh, planning something, executing it, and then having it work, and um, like the repeat customers, the repeat customers on different products, the customer referrals were really satisfying that I did good enough for one customer that they told someone else, and they thought enough to call me and tell me that someone told them to call. Uh, that's pretty satisfying. Uh, that you're doing it right but i really think really the most satisfying thing was like that plum i ate the other night like just walking out into the backyard and picking a plum and eating it walking up into the other side yard and picking an apple and eating it and that was probably the best i love the work itself I love doing morning and evening chores i love feeding the animals i love observing the animals um, I just get a, an intense satisfaction, even when it's hundred degrees outside and I'm sweating all over the place. I still enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as much in the wintertime when it's below freezing and the wind blowing because I'm getting too old for that. But other than that, I love it. And I love when I cook a meal and I set it in front of my family and I, I'm one of those, this, this, and this came from our property, you know, and uh, I want to point, I want to point it out so that they know that I actually have something to show for the work that I've done. So it's very satisfying. Nice. Yeah, I think in my case, uh, seeing, seeing finished infrastructure, the things that we've actually built, um, we have been told that we have the uh, swankiest uh, composting outhouse anyone has ever seen. So I'll take that compliment um, and, and pass it over to Angel because she actually designed and built the bulk of it. I just helped her with a couple of the tall sections. Um, and I think the, the most satisfying factor really isn't what we've done here. It's the fact that 
I decided to seek out other people who were doing the same thing, who, who thought and felt similarly about a variety of topics as I do. And I've been able to build a whole bunch of associations and friendships out of that. And that's, that's been the part because I went from having the almost uh, go it alone, grumpy old man attitude about this to it about, you know, sharing ideas and processes and successes and failures with some other friends. All right. For uh, us, I'd say the proudest moment was Yule two years ago. The first time we sat a meal in front of our family for that was entirely bread, born, raised, 100% on our half acre. And that was the first rabbit we ever had. It was a rabbit with wine sauce if i remember or uh, roasted with wine uh it was green beans and i think it was potatoes from the garden if i remember and that was the first meal we had had a hundred percent grown off of our half acre and that's probably the best moment i've ever you know had and then as aaron said she posted you know the kids fighting over the stuff in the garden that is 100% who's going to get all those cherry tomatoes out there and who's going to be able to get all the green beans and who's walking in the house eating stuff that was growing outside and it doesn't need to be washed off because it's not being sprayed with anything. Yeah, definitely harvesting the things is a highlight. We have a poor apple tree that's kind of had a rough go of it, but it has produced one apple each of the last two years. Carmel got the apple last year, didn't share it with me. So she knows she'll be in big trouble if she eats it this year. <laughs> that is my apple. <laughs> any other thoughts before we wrap it up? Anything, any any last words, famous last words? Why don't we go around? Or Brian, you have something to say? No? Okay. Let's go around and tell everybody who we are, where they can find us and follow us. Brian, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm Brian with The Lots Project. You can find me at thelotsproject.com or uh, on YouTube. All my social links are on the website. Um, just launched a new coffee line with my wife's project, uh, Baby Walter and Company. Uh, each of our St. Bernard's got their own um, roast of coffee and uh, launched that on babywalterandcompany.com slash shop. So if you want to check that out. Or, uh, yeah, any of our stuff, you can find links to everything at my website. Do a podcast every Monday through Friday morning live on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, find it on all the podcast players. I, I can be found on YouTube at Ellis Family Farms and uh, and on Facebook and, all, and uh, Instagram and TikTok. Uh, and there's some variation of Thesia Ellis. And uh, I, too, will be a speaker at the... Um, the festival in in october and i i don't i'm nervous i won't lie <laughs> are you serious it just keeps yeah better. yeah i get to i get to speak about being true to myself as an old lady i'll be in the front row dear excellent yeah i'm nate from uh two chicks homestead 
we do a weekly podcast every week. Um, next one coming up is going to be on our uh, fails and successes at side hustles and stuff. So that'll be a kind of fun to uh, put out there. We're also running a giveaway right now. Um, all that information is in uh, episode 28. We're going to run it for a couple more weeks because we realized that we need to give you guys a little bit longer than one week to enter a giveaway. So uh, give uh, episode 28 and episode 29 a listen. And uh, 29 will be coming out tomorrow night. And that'll be uh, a fun one to listen to because uh, I've screwed up some side hustles. So we're going to put that out there and uh, have a little bit of fun. So that's pretty much it for me. I'm Carrie with Strong Roots Resources, doing regenerative homestead uh, and permaculture style design from your little urban spot all the way up to uh, several acres at this point. And uh, I'll throw some content up on Facebook and Instagram from time to time under Strong Roots Resources. I've yet to make a YouTube video because I don't have the patience for it. I commend you guys who can. Um, and uh, I uh, get to the website and get on the email list. I'm, I'm getting more content out there. I just put out an update today. Um, just kind of kind of going over this kind of second half of summer. What we've learned, what we've been working on. And uh, that's where you can find me, Stronger Resources. Yeah, YouTube is definitely a different animal. The, all, the long form videos, if, if you do it like the big YouTubers do, I don't do that either. Do a live video every now and then. I'm Ken. You can find me at constructiveliberty.com. Um, Constructive Liberty podcast. Check it out on all the podcast players. I do a once weekly podcast episode and occasionally throw up a video or a reel on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. Um, I, I like to stir the pot on Facebook every now and then. Post post things to get people talking. And Did you say occasionally? <laughs> occasionally, occasionally, yes. Occasionally, you post. Occasionally, occasionally. you stir things up, or occasionally, occasionally. both. Yeah, right. Occasionally, both. <laughs> I try to several times a week. Try to ideally once a day, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> Not nearly all the time. So I probably have too many different social media channels to to go to. But um, podcast.constructiveliberty.com is where you can find all of the recent episodes. And, of course, you can always listen to Fireside Freedom anywhere you get your podcasts, especially, though, on a Podcast 2.0 app, so you can stream all the sats to all of the creators here, and that will get split up eventually. So <laughs> there hasn't been many, Brian, so so don't, don't be taken aback. I'm not spending our 27 cents that we got so far. What? <laughs> all right. Any last words? Have a great night, all. We'll chat at you next week. See you later. See you,